We are in Theology of Jesus. If you want to sound really smart at lunch today, tell your friends you were studying Christology. That's what they call it in theology. It is Christology. You're going to learn Christology today. I don't know why we can't just say Jesus, right? Um, Here we go. Let me read you this doctrinal statement. It says, we believe that Jesus Christ is the incarnate God, conceived through the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and is fully God and fully human. He is God's Son, equal with him, and the second person of the Trinity. We believe he lived a fully human life, walking among us, teaching and illustrating the Christian life, and performing many miracles. Because human beings sinned and suffered the penalty of death, we believe Jesus died for our sins, was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit, ascended into heaven, and will return again one day for his church. Let me read you some passages of scripture that just support the the entire doctrinal statement that we read. Luke 1 verse 31 says, you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. Hebrews 7 26 says, such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Acts 2.22 says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 1 Timothy 3.16 says, beyond all question, the mystery from which true godliness springs is great. Here it is. He appeared in the flesh, was vindicated by the Spirit, was seen by angels, was preached among the nations, was believed on in the world, and was taken up in glory. A couple more. 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Hebrews 1.3. says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. John 14, one through three. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I not have told you that? I am going to build a place, or I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will go back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. I know we usually start with scripture, but instead we we take those scriptures and we form a doctrinal statement that includes all of those passages of scripture and the theology with them and then read them to you. But it, it is so important when we talk about a theology of Jesus, we have to get Jesus right. We have to know what we believe about Jesus. If we call ourselves a Christian, a Christ one, we have to know what we believe about Christ, about who Jesus was, who Jesus is, what he does, what the future holds. We have to know what we believe. My wife and I, we love um, a place called Vero in Conroe. It's an Italian restaurant. Uh, it's su- just super good food. And I remember one time we placed a carryout order at Vero. 
And we, we ordered just a ton of food. We got there. Uh, I pulled up. She sent me to go pick it up. And I get there and I said, hey, uh, I'm here to pick up an order for Anna. And they said, okay, awesome. And they gave me the order for Anna. And I drove home. And when I got home, we opened up the bag and it wasn't our order. I was like, wow, this is not even close to our order. So I called up there and told them. And they said, oh, man, we've got two Annas. So we gave you the wrong Anna. So I drove back up there and I got the other Anna's order. I beat, I beat them to it, right? I was like, oh, no, that Anna ain't getting me. So I drove up. I got the other Anna's order. I got home with the other Anna's order. We opened it up and it wasn't the right order. And I was like, what is going on with this place? Why is this happening? Anna was like, the kids are starving. I'm hungry. What's happening? And I said, I went there and picked up the Anna order, and it was the wrong order. So I picked up the other Anna order, and it's not the right order. And she said, I put it under Luke. So then I go back to the restaurant, and I'm like, hey, I, I need the order for Luke. And I can hear the guy in the back. He's like, I got eight orders, and four of them are wrong, and nobody's at it. He's just fired up and mad and everything. But what happened was I took the wrong one, and it started a chain reaction that messed up the entire order and everybody else's order as well. If we don't get Jesus right, we screw up the rest of the order. If we don't get, I, some of the things that drive me nuts are people who do ignorant, heretical things in the name of Jesus. That do things that Jesus would never do with a sign in their hands that says Jesus saves. It's like, what, what Jesus do you know? You have a sign that says Jesus saves and you're, you're doing the opposite of what he would do, how he would live. We have to get Jesus right because if we mess up Jesus, the rest of the order is wrong. Our actions are wrong. Our heart is wrong. Our attitude is wrong. Everything else is messed up. So we have to dial in here on a theology of Jesus. There are three places where you can get a, you can form a Christology in scripture. I'll, I'll tell you two of them and then we'll major on the third. The first one is this. You can read uh, from Jewish history, the Talmud, and the Old Testament. You will form a Christology. You will see who the Jews believed Jesus was. You will see what history believes about Jesus. And you will see throughout the Old Testament, you can form a Christology from Jewish history, the Old Testament, some Talmud writings and everything else. That is one place to form Christology. Another place is the Gospels. The Gospels is life, teaching, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's another place to form Christology, okay? You will see if you take both Jewish history and you take the Gospels, you will see Jesus fulfill three roles, prophet, priest, and king. Because prophet, priest, and king were the three rulers of all things. If you were a prophet, you were the voice of God. Jesus is called a prophet. If you were a priest, you were the one who mediated between God and man. Jesus becomes our high priest. If you were a king, you were the one who was ruler over everything. Jesus becomes king. That is the, the systematic Christology of the Gospels. But then there is a third way. And the third way is Pauline Christology. It's following the Apostle Paul throughout Christology. Now, here's why this is important to understand. Number one is this. The, all of Paul's writings were written uh, before the Gospels were written. Okay? So Paul wrote the collection of his letters to the church before the Gospels were written. Paul uses the term in Christ 167 times. He never once uses the, the word disciple. 
Methides, the Greek word, never once uses it. Only shows up in the Gospels and halfway through the book of Acts and then it disappears. Paul says over and over and over, 167 times, we are to be in Christ. We are to live in Christ. We are to breathe in Christ. Our lives should be in Christ. Paul was also a contextual theologian. Here's what that means. If you read through Paul's letters, you're going to see his Christology match the context of the place that he's in. In other words, he writes to the Galatians who are following Judaism, and he is saying, you need to know that Christ is faithfulness. You are off on faithfulness to the law. Christ is faithfulness. He writes to the Corinthians, and he tells them, Jesus is unity, wisdom, and reconciliation. Why? Because they were a church that was divided. They were just busted up into fractions all over the place. And Paul comes to them with a Christ who unites and who brings things together. In other words, if you go through Paul's letters, you're going to get the context to what he was writing. And your Christology is going to match the contextual places that Paul was. Throughout all of Paul's writings, three things remain with Christology. I promise we're going we're to land this to a place that is an integrated simplicity, Okay. Here are the three things that remain. If you read all of Paul's letters and you say, who do I believe Jesus is based on what Paul wrote? These are the three things. Number one, salvation. Number two, reconciliation. And number three, return. If we're going to get Jesus right, and we're going to get it right today, we have to understand three things. One, Jesus saves Two, Jesus is returning. And number three, Jesus reconciles all things unto himself. All right, let's dive in. So our orthodoxy, it's very simple. What do we believe? What is the one thing, if someone asks us, what do you believe about Jesus? This is what we champion. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Let's say it together. Jesus saves. What do we believe about Jesus? That Jesus saves. Let's take the Romans road. Romans 3, 23 through 24. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus our Lord. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus saves. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Do you mind doing me a favor, my beautiful Vanna White? Will you go out there and will you grab the picture? I have a picture in a frame out there. I just completely forgot it. My grandpa was a, a Westerns fanatic. He loved the Western channel on DirecTV. John Wayne was his guy. My grandpa loved John Wayne. My grandpa was a cowboy. He grew up on a 180-acre farm in Kansas. He loved Western movies. He loved John Wayne. He loved, in fact, they used to tape the Westerns. Let's, let's see where all the old people are, okay? This is before DVDs, DVR, recording, clouds, and everything else, right? My grandpa, thank you so much. Would you give my beautiful wife a hand? <laughs> thank you. 
My grandpa used to set up a VCR, put a tape in, and then go to the Western channel, right? You following me? You following me? And then you'd get it on the right channel, and then you'd press record so that it would record the Westerns. And he and my grandma used to fight because he would record his Westerns over her soaps. And she'd get so mad. She'd go to watch one of her soaps, and she'd press play, and John Wayne's gunslinging on the thing. And she's like, Rex, why did you tape over my soaps? Who remembers that life? Who remembers that life? Look around. Everybody else, look around. These are the people that don't know how to work their iPhone right now. <laughs> They're like, face recognition? What is going on? It's, it, was, it was the time. I remember they used to do it. And my grandpa, he had all of these Western collections that he loved, and he had this one picture in his office, and he was crazy about this picture. It was this picture right here. And then a cool, I don't know if you can see it in the back or not, um, but it is, a, it is a picture of, oh, we can't put it up there. Uh, it, it, was, it hung in his office, and I was, I was no older than Canaan, when he, and he loved this. He thought it was the coolest picture in the world. And what he loved about it was he said, no matter where you are, he's got you. And so when I was a kid, this is, it's a guy pointing a gun, by the way. It's just a guy pointing a gun there. Uh, you, you can't escape it. There is no angle. So when I was, when I was Canaan's age, I used to run around my grandpa's office and I used to hide behind the couch and I'd hide behind the lamp and I'd slowly peek up and I'd look and the gun would be pointing right at me and he'd say, nope, he's got you right there. And I'd say, okay, okay. So I'd go and I'd hide over here and I'd try to, to stay away and, and I'd look over and, and the second I made eye contact, my grandpa would say, nope, nope, he's still got you. He's got you right there. And my grandpa used to say, there is nowhere you can go where he can't get you. Jesus saves. There is no place that you can go that he cannot get you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. There is nothing that can pull you away or separate you or, or dismiss you or make you inadequate to receive the love and salvation that is in Jesus. What do we believe? Jesus saves. That means he saves your marriage. Means he saves your kids. Means he saves your family. Doctors can't save you. It may make you live a little longer, but Jesus saves you. People can't save you. A new relationship can't save you. More money can't save you. Jesus saves. He saves and satisfies our soul. The number one thing we have to champion as people is that Jesus saves. He is Savior and he saves. John, 14, 40, John 12, 47, excuse me, says, If anyone hears my words, this is Jesus, but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. Listen to what he says. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. He came to save. He's in the business of saving, of saving your soul and satisfying you beyond anything that the world can offer you. When we get our orthodoxy right, we champion this and this alone, that Jesus saves. There's nothing that can save me outside of Jesus. There is nothing that can satisfy me outside of Jesus. Guys, listen. 
I, I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ is the most unstoppable power on the planet of earth and everywhere else where Elon Musk believes there's people. I believe it is the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the most powerful thing on earth. It is fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. It transforms people. It changes lives. It saves you and it saves me. Despite our sinfulness, despite our wretchedness, Jesus saves. So why are we constantly playing defense when we have the greatest offense? What are we hiding from? What are we trying to protect and preserve and keep people out? No, come in the doors. Come on, come one, come all. I believe the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit saves. And I want people to experience that. And we all should collectively as a body. What do we believe? Oh man, I've messed this up. What do we believe? Okay, Jesus saves. Now, here's the question. Jesus saves. What does that do right here? What does that do right here? What does that do in the middle of my chest? What does it do in my soul? What does it do in the depths of me? What does it do when things are good? What does it do when things are bad? What does it do when I'm hurting? What does it do when I'm alone? What does it do when I'm lost? What does it do when I'm questioning? What does it do when I don't have the answers? What does Jesus saves? What does it do to my orthopathy? How does it change my heart? It's called the parousia. It's the Greek word for the return. Our hope is in this, not just that Jesus saves, but Jesus saves and he's coming back. Jesus saves, and Jesus is coming back. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 13. May he strengthen your hearts. Our orthopathy. What strengthens our hearts? May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of God and and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with his holy ones. What strengthens your heart that Jesus is coming back? What is your strength right now? It's that you're not left here alone. He's coming back for you. He's coming back for me. He's coming back for his church. Colossians 3 verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, Paul writes, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. If you don't believe he's coming back, you have no hope. If you believe it's over and it's over, you have no hope. He says, for we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus Those who have fallen asleep in him. Verse 15. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of our Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17. After that, We who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Verse verse 18, therefore 
encourage one another with these words. What do we encourage each other with? How do we get encouraged? You will not get encouraged by Google. You will not get encouraged by social media. You will not get encouraged by watching the news. You get encouraged by the fact that Jesus is coming again. Your encouragement, your hope, your will to fight, your desire to keep going is this and this alone, that Jesus is coming back. That I will be taken from here and I will be with there with him forever celebrating his goodness and glory. That's our hope. That's what we long for. That's what we stand with, that he is coming back. Canaan, I, I was talking with Canaan the other day. And I asked him, I said, Canaan, what would you do if a bad guy came after you? And he said, I would, Daddy, I would tell you and you would punch him in the face. <laughs> I said, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I'm a preacher, but not when my kid's in danger. <laughs> and so I said, okay, cool. And I said, well, what if you can't find Daddy? What if Daddy's not there? He said, well, then I would come find Daddy and bring you to him and you would punch him in the face. <laughs> I was like, okay, third scenario. What if a bad guy's messing with you and daddy's not there and you can't find daddy? You know what he said? No, 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 no. Dad, you would never leave me with a bad guy. <laughs> and I was like, that's right. You're right, I wouldn't. Right? I, I told him I would fight for you and find you and chase you down and Liam Neeson I'd have taken for you. I would do everything to find you and bring you back home. How much more our Lord and Savior, our King, our priest, and our prophet, how much more Jesus? He's coming back and we celebrate. It encourages our heart. What does Paul say? May your heart be encouraged. Why? You're not left alone. May your heart be encouraged. Why? He's coming back. And he's coming back to take you and to take me with him to be in glory forever. Okay. Now, it's my favorite part. Ooh, we're on time too. <laughs> That's rare, coming off a of vacation and missing a Sunday. We can extend it if you want. We'll just take it a little longer. Okay. Orthopraxy. What is my orthodoxy? What do I believe? Jesus saves. What is my orthopathy? What encourages my heart? Jesus is returning. He's coming back for me. So what do I do? What do we do in the meantime? During the day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, how do we live? What do we do? Because we know Jesus saves and we know Jesus is returning. Here it is. Our orthopraxy is Jesus reconciles. Jesus reconciles, and he reconciles all things unto himself. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Listen to this passage. It's so good. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. You should not be evaluating people from a worldly point of view. It should be a heavenly point of view. You don't have enemies. You wrestle against flesh and blood, not Democrats or Republicans. You don't have enemies. You don't regard people from a worldly point of view. You don't evaluate people based on how they vote. You don't, that's, that's not what we do, not as Christians, not if we believe Jesus saves and Jesus is returning. Those are the people I need to love. 
Those are the people I need to witness to. Those are the people I need to walk with and fellowship with and be in life with to bring to the gospel. So let me keep going. So we no longer regard people from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. When they regarded Christ in a worldly point of view, they nailed him to a tree. When they doubted his kingship, when they doubted who he was, what did they do? They turned on him. We don't regard people from a worldly point of view. Therefore, we quote this all the time, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Did you catch that? I'll read it again, verse 18. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. And then what does he do? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Greek word for reconcile that we saw over and over and over that Paul quoted, it means to exchange. And it's, it's talking about currency. It means the exchange of currency to exchange it for equal value. And, and here is, if we're a first century Jewish audience, here's what we see. All of the different cities and territories and countries were ruled by different rulers. And they were arrogant, narcissistic rulers for the most part. And they wanted their face on the money. So someone killed Caesar and Nero rose up. Nero wanted his face on the money. So he'd wipe out all the money, he'd put his face on it, and he'd be like, now if you're going to go to the store, you're going to pay with a Nero, not with a Caesar, right? They were just, that was, that was part of the culture, and all of them had different currencies. So if you wanted to transact business from one place to another, you had to go to a place called the exchange. And you would go into the exchange, and you would lay down what you had in front of the exchange and they would take your money from one place they would give you the equivalent of your money to and their money so that you can now enter in and go and do the business and the shopping that you want to do when Paul is saying Jesus reconciled us to God what he is saying is he took the currency that you have and he matched it with himself so that you can enter into a place of intimacy and faith and walking with God that's the ministry of Jesus is reconciliation it is taking what you have it is making it enough by his sacrifice so that you can enter in and be in fellowship with God but it doesn't stop there because then what does he say he says and now I've given you the ministry of reconciliation and now not only do you have the ministry of reconciliation, but now you have a message of reconciliation. And now that you have the message of reconciliation, what do you do? You become ambassadors of reconciliation. So what do we do? What is our orthopraxy? What is our practice? We are reconcilers. 
We are grabbing people and we are dragging them to the exchange, metaphorically, not physically, right? And we are, well, unless they're your kids, then drag them into church as much as you want. Tell them what to do. But listen, we, we bring people to the exchange and we bring them to the exchange that makes them enough so that they can have fellowship with God. It is reconciliation. It's the ministry of Jesus. It's what he does and it's what we're supposed to do. We bring people to the exchange. I told you all we went on a family vacation, and uh, before that, Canaan wanted a Switch, a, a Nintendo Switch, right? And so uh, we told him, you can earn it. You can work to earn it. So we'll give you a dollar per job, and you can do jobs around the house. Now that I think about it, we were pretty cheap. We, we, we gave him a dollar, and we'd work him like a dog. But it was, it was worth it. I mean, you should learn, right? Teaching him values, teaching him how to work hard. And so he was folding laundry. He was emptying the dishwasher. He was taking the trash out. He was bringing the trash back in. He was cleaning up rooms. He was cleaning up he and his sister's playroom. He was, he was doing all kinds of stuff. And I'm not kidding you, this kid worked his little tail off. He got up to a hundred bucks. <laughs> That's a hundred jobs, right? In a short period of time. Kid was real. I'm telling you, it was, it was precious. Dad, can I earn another dollar? What can I do? I'm like, yes, praise God. This is worth every penny, right? So he gets up to 100 bucks, trips four days away. And I'm like, ah, he's not going to make it. You got to work some overtime, pal. <laughs> like, man, he's, he's, he's not going to get there. But we, we saw how much effort he poured into it and how hard he worked. So we ordered one off Amazon and it arrived the day before the trip. And we called him downstairs and we had him sit down in front of us. And we said, pal, go get your wallet. And he was like, what? Go get your wallet. And so he runs upstairs, he grabs his wallet, and we said, give us, give us all the money that you earned. It's time to give us the money you earned. He's like, okay. And he takes the money out and he hands us 100 bucks and all these little ones and quarters and everything else. And he, he hands it to us. And we said, okay, close your eyes. And he closed his eyes. We said, put your hands out. He put his hands out. And we set that switch. I'm going to get choked up thinking about it because he was so excited. Is there anything more exciting than seeing your kids excited? And we put that switch in his hands. He opened his eyes. He's like, what? what? He just freaks out. And then we said to him, we made it very, very clear. Buddy, you didn't have enough money to buy this. But mom and dad saw how hard you worked. We saw that you poured your heart and soul into weeks of doing jobs and serving and having a good attitude. And so what we did is we took what you have, we added to it to make it enough so that you can receive the gift. Reconciliation is God taking what you have bringing it through Christ to make it enough so that you can have fellowship with him. So what do we do? We reconcile people. We bring them to the exchange where they finally become enough to experience intimacy with God. And it's not by what they have to offer, but what he's already done. And we match those two together and we see lives changed. What do we believe? What does it, how does it impact our heart? Oh, now Jesus is returning. Look, I'm on vacation mode too. I'm trying to keep up, right? 
We believe Jesus saves. It impacts our heart because we believe Jesus will return again, so we're encouraged by it. And what do we do because of it? We are reconcilers. Our ministry is reconciliation. We're ambassadors of reconciliation. We want everyone to encounter the only one that can make them enough.